Hey guys, it's Ellie. Welcome to Minute Mysteries. You're in the right place. So, first of all, if you've never been here before, welcome to the podcast. I hope you stick around and I hope you listen to some more episodes. Second of all, if you've also never been here, let me explain what I'm going to be doing. So, I have this book that is called Minute Mysteries. It's literally called Minute Mysteries. I believe it's by H.A. Ripley. It's, it's from like the 1920s. And it's full of like these logic puzzles that, again, are called Minute Mysteries. I'm sure you've heard of them. They're essentially just scenarios that test our deductive skills and our logical reasoning and stuff like that. And it's a lot of fun. (laughs) And it makes me feel like Sherlock Holmes whenever I get them right. And that's always exciting. So anyways, uh, yeah. So every episode I do three of them. So I'll just read each one, try to solve it. And once I find a solution or once I'm out of ideas, then we read the solution together and we uh, laugh at how much we failed because dang, these are hard. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So with No More Waffle, let's jump right in. Fisherman's Luck. Having these stones in my possession, Professor Fordney, isn't proof that I had any part in the Morris robbery. I know all about your story, Holmes. Found the jewels yesterday at three o'clock in the lake, tied up in a chamois bag, didn't you? (laughs) But what were you doing in an open boat in the cloudburst that lasted all yesterday afternoon? It was because of that cloudburst that I sallied forth, explained Holmes confidently. Perfect fishing weather, so I jumped into my boat and went across the lake for some minnows. I had rowed back to within a few yards of shore when I just happened to notice the bag lying on the bottom of the lake. So I landed, tipped my boat over to keep the rain out, and waded in. Curious, you know. The water at that point was over my waist and cold, but when I opened the bag, my courage and curiosity were rewarded. On which side of the dock did you find it? asked Fordney. Holmes pointed to a spot on the sandy bottom at the left. Think I'll talk with the minnow man, declared the professor as he got into Holmes's boat. He rode furiously for about fifty yards, suddenly dropped the oars, and, after glancing from the crystal-clear water to the bottom of the boat, emitted a victorious chuckle. Stupid of me not to have thought of that before, he mused. Wonder if Holmes is a better fisherman than he is a liar. Clever fellow, Holmes. Did his story fool you? I don't know. I think it did fool me. (laughs) I think what I'm going to do to kind of wrap my head around uh, what I just read and to kind of help me think things through, I'm going to summarize what we read and kind of go through all the clues that were given. So first of all, the person whose name is Holmes was found with valuable stones in his possession and he was implicated in a robbery. And his story is that he didn't steal them. He found them at the bottom of a lake in a bag. So he found them at three o'clock in the lake in a chamois bag. Or I think it's pronounced chamois. I don't know. However, it was like cloud bursting and like all rainy and stuff. So Fortney was like, why are you, why were you out on the lake when it was stormy? And he was like, actually, that's because it's good fishing weather. So I went across the lake for some minnows, and after he had went across the lake, he rode back to within a few yards of shore, and then he noticed the bag on the bottom of the lake, so he landed and tipped his boat over to keep the rain out, and then waded into the water and found the bag and looked in it, and according to him, when he got the bag, the water was above his waist, and it was cold, obviously, because it was stormy. And after Fordney asked which side of the dock he found it on, he said the left, so I don't know if that actually has any bearing on the solution, but I figured it was an important detail because all details in the story are important, unless proven otherwise. (laughs) So I think the solution might have something to do with, like, the depth of the water and the clarity of the water. Because there are several details in here that mention, like, the water was over his waist when he was grabbing it from the bottom of the lake, and it was raining, and, like, something to do with the water, I think, is the solution. Like, maybe it was rainy, so it would have been cloudy, so we wouldn't have been able to see it. Which is actually a decent theory, wow. (laughs) Or maybe, like, the water was too deep, or not as deep as he was describing, or something like that. Um, 
actually, wow, that <laughs> that rain theory that I thought up on the fly was actually pretty good. Okay, the way he described it is that he saw it a few yards offshore, so he went in the water and he grabbed it and it was about above waist deep for him, right? But like, if it's raining and storming, then first of all, it's cloudy, so it's not as bright outside. Second of all, the water's all rough because it's literally raining. <laughs> so how could you see the bag, especially if it was like waist deep, right? So if it was waist deep for this guy, I'm assuming it was like three feet down. Which isn't that deep, but like when it's rainy and stormy and presumably there are waves and stuff, then you wouldn't have been able to see it. So, yeah, wow. <laughs> I just thought of that theory on the fly, but I think it's actually the correct answer. So, uh, <laughs> we're gonna read the solution and find out if I'm right. Holmes could not have seen the bag on the bottom of the lake during a cloudburst. The agitation of even crystal clear water under such conditions would have so disturbed the surface that an object on the bottom could not be seen. Wait, did I... I... I did... <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I literally just purely guessed and was like throwing out ideas like random crap go. <laughs> and I got it, apparently. One of my blind throws at a theory actually hit the target, so that's kind of surprising. Anyways, let's move on to the next one, shall we? The Unlucky Elephant Dead. Bullet hole in the right temple said Sergeant Reynolds, as he knelt by a man lying face down, a revolver clutched in his right hand. All right, replied Inspector Kelly. Let's have a look around. Dressed for the street, eh? While speaking, Kelly picked up from the floor several fragments of glass and a right-hand glove turned inside out. Look at this glove, Reynolds. What do you make of it? And I wonder if that soiled handkerchief on the table belongs to him? Gee, Chief, said Reynolds, as he turned the body over and unbuttoned the topcoat, this is young Holman, the millionaire. The body was immaculately clothed in the finest custom tailoring. Broke his watch, too. Stopped at 8.10, continued the sergeant, as he removed the timepiece from the vest pocket. Let's see if those pieces you've got are a part of the crystal. Yep. And look at this jade elephant at the end of the chain. Bumped himself off, all right, Inspector, but I don't get that glove business or that dirty handkerchief, either. We'd better look around and find that other glove, said Kelly. A thorough search failed to disclose it, and while the inspector was confident it was suicide, he decided to get Professor Fordney's opinion, because of the prominence of young Holman. After explaining the situation to the professor over the telephone, he was puzzled at his reply. I'll be right around, inspector. From what you've told me, it looks like murder. What justified the professor's belief that it was probably murder? Alrighty then. <laughs> so, we have another death. And it's supposed to be framed as suicide, but it's not, which we've actually had several of those in the past couple weeks, which is surprising. We haven't really had very many framed suicides on Minute Mysteries, but lately there have been a lot of them, which is, you know, definitely a pattern. <laughs> but regardless, let's try and find a contradiction in this evidence that we've been given. So let's kind of summarize again, because that's how I think things through. First, we learn about the bullet hole and how he shot himself. So supposedly he shot himself with his right hand in the right temple, which lines up. If it was in the left temple, that would be strange because he would have to like twist his hand around his head, but he did not do that. So he's lying face down, a revolver was clutched in his right hand, which I think is rather strange because if he shot himself in the right temple, you'd think he'd kind of get pushed to the right. Although I don't know the physics of getting shot, so I don't know if he would literally just fall forward or fall to the side. But that's something to keep in mind, I think. Anyways, let's keep going. So according to the inspector and the sergeant who was kind of looking over the crime scene, they said that he was well-dressed. He was, you know, dressed in his custom tailoring. And they found several fragments of glass, which was part of his pocket watch, which they would later find out. 
and a right-hand glove which was turned inside out, which I think is rather strange. And they also find a soiled handkerchief on the table, which they think belongs to him. So the watch that I mentioned before, it was in his vest pocket, and it was broken, that's why they got the glass. And it stopped at 8.10, which is presumably when the glass got broken. Like, when you hit a watch, it generally stops. That is used as a plot device in a lot of detective stories. <laughs> but yeah, so the crystal is broken on the watch. And, and at the end of the chain, there is a pretty jade elephant, and I think that's pretty cool. Let's see, so I think that's basically all the clues we have. So... Yeah, that seems kind of strange. Let's let's kind of try and find the contradiction here because really, like, <laughs> this is gonna be a difficult one. I can I can think of it already. So one thing that I was thinking of when I was reading this, besides the thing that I already mentioned about like falling over forward instead of sideways, besides that, I was also thinking of like the watch. It broke, right? Why? Why did it break? It was in his vest pocket. If he shot himself in the head, it wouldn't have broken. Although actually, wait, no. <laughs> if he fell forward and hit his face, then I guess his watch could have broken from the impact of just falling forward. So that makes enough sense. Dang, I just disproved my own possible theory. Darn! <laughs> One thing that I think we should take into account is the right-hand glove that they find that is turned inside out for some reason. So why would a right-hand glove be turned inside out? I think that's very strange. But I can't think of any application of that clue. Like, I don't see how that could factor into any of this. I'm sure there's a way but I don't understand it, so <laughs> let's keep looking. <laughs> Wait a second. Wait a second. I'm going to go back to that uh, that watch theory that I had. So he fell on his face, right? And his watch broke in his jacket, right? And in order to find the watch, they had to unbutton his top coat and get it out of his vest pocket, right? So why was there glass on the ground? The watch was very safely pocketed away in his vest with a top coat on top of it. Why was there glass on the floor? Did someone kill him and then button his top coat back up? Which is possible because if the top coat was unbuttoned, then it would kind of be a sign of a struggle. So that makes sense. So yeah, why is there glass on the ground if his coat was buttoned up and everything when his watch broke? What the heck? <laughs> Dude, oh man, I think I, I think I got it. Uh, wow, I'm really confident in this actually. So yeah, let's, let's read the solution and find out if I'm right. Holman was lying face down with his top coat buttoned. Therefore, if his watch crystal had been broken by his fall, none of the glass could have been found on the floor. <laughs> oh, I feel like a genius. I literally had a watch theory, and then I was like, wait a second, it could have broken. And then I went back to it, and I was like, but wait, the glass shouldn't have been on the floor. <gasps> oh my gosh, I feel like so smart. So far, we're on the route to getting 3 out of 3 this week, so hopefully the next one we can actually get correct because it'll be the first time in a while that I've actually gotten three out of three correct. So that'd be pretty huge. So anyways, let's scooch on over to the next one and see if we can get that one right, huh? <laughs> the professor listens. Why the rush to get back to New York? inquired Fordney a few minutes after Delavin stepped from the plane. Thought you intended spending the summer in Cuba. Well, if you must know, my bank failed and I came back to straighten out my affairs. Oh, that's too bad, Delavin. How did you hear about it? He handed Fortney a clipping from the Jacksonville Herald. New York, July 5th. Foundation Bank & Trust Co., one of New York's oldest banking establishments, closed its doors today. Sure you didn't come back to help your pal Ryan? Asked the professor. He's been in jail for two days, ever since the 4th of July bombing. Had a letter on him signed by you, asking him to get in touch with a C.J. Wallace. We traced Wallace and discovered he is with an ammunition company, 
when the district attorney heard you were on your way here, he asked me to meet you. He thinks you know something about the bombing. <laughs> In jail, huh? I didn't know there had been a bombing. Uh, Wallace is a cousin of mine. Where did you catch your plane? Why, uh, uh, Jacksonville, Florida. You see, I was staying at a rather remote place, and no planes served that part of Cuba. Really had no thought of leaving till I read of the bank failure. Well, you'd better think of a more convincing alibi before the district attorney questions you. Oh, I suppose somebody wired him that Spider McCoy met the plane when we landed in Norfolk. He's got nothing on me! exclaimed Delavan. What do you think of Delavan's actions? Suspicious? Why? Hmm. <laughs> so, we have several characters in this story. So let's kind of go over the scene. Let's see, the characters are Delavan, Ryan, and C.J. Wallace. So Delavan is the person who just came back from Cuba, supposedly to straighten out his affairs after his bank failed. However, he has a pal Ryan, who is in jail, who is connected to a bombing. And then, that pal Ryan, who was in jail, had a letter signed by Delavan, or however you pronounce it, asking him to get in touch with C.J. Wallace. And according to Delavan, C.J. Wallace is a cousin of his. So, those are the three characters, and now we need to find a reason why Delavan is being suspicious. So first of all, obviously he's being suspicious because he came back two days after his pal got put in jail, and his pal literally had a letter signed by him, so that's obviously suspicious. You know, the timing there is a little bit too much of a coincidence. Oh, <laughs> wait a second, wait a second. I think I see the solution here. So he was in Cuba, right? And since, you know, Cuba is right close to Florida, he wasn't really able to get a plane straight from Cuba to where he needed to go. So he took a plane, or he got to Florida, and then he took a plane outside of Jacksonville, Florida. And the only reason that he thought to leave Cuba was because, according to him, his bank failed. But the thing is, earlier when Forney asks about how he heard about his bank failing, he hands Forney a clipping from the Jacksonville Herald which says that his bank failed. But the thing is, Jacksonville isn't in Cuba. So he couldn't have seen this newspaper clipping before he left the country already. So his story that he left Cuba because of his bank failing is not true because he didn't even know about his bank failing until he got to Jacksonville, which was after he already left the country. Dude, wait, am I gonna get three out of three right this week? <laughs> I'm excited, dude, okay, I think I got that right. I'm way too confident in the solution, so let's read it and find out. The notice of the bank failure, appearing in the Jacksonville Herald, was dated July 5th. This could not have reached Delavan at a remote part of Cuba, unserviced by planes, in time for him to get back to New York on the 6th. His alibi, therefore, was completely broken, as he said the newspaper clipping brought him back. Aha, uh -huh, see? It was the newspaper clipping. Ha! <laughs> the newspaper clipping that... Happened after he already left the country, or at least that he saw in Jacksonville. <laughs> Dude, I got three out of three right! Woo! <laughs> that is the first time in like a month and a half or something that I've actually gotten three out of three right on one of these. So I'm over the moon because I feel like I'm so smart. I got those right pretty quickly, honestly. Like, wow. Man, I'm getting better at these, I swear. <laughs> Anyways, I've gloated enough, but I just have a couple of things to say. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm so grateful. I love making these episodes. I say this every single week, but these episodes are so much fun to make, especially when I get them all right. And yeah, it's awesome to have people listen to uh, me just try and solve these. 
So, I also have an email address. If you have anything to say, if you have any comments or feedback or recommendations for books or authors or any other genres that you think I might like, I'm especially looking for new authors, especially the really uh, uncommon authors. I would love to read some books from authors that nobody really has heard of. So yeah, anyways, you can email me there, and um, yeah, that's basically all I have to say. I hope that you guys have the best day ever, and that you guys have a great week. This is another one of those episodes that I had to pre-record before my Europe trip. So if you're listening to this on the day that it's actually released, that means that I'm still in Europe. Anyways, so (laughs) I'm just saying this because if this episode doesn't come out on time for whatever reason, that's probably why, because I'm pre-recording all of these and I'm going to have to try and edit them whenever I have time. So anyways, I'm excited for that and I hope you guys have a fun time as well. So anyways, thank you guys so much for listening and... I'll see you guys next Thursday. Bye!